Hi, welcome to DivaBetic's podcast. I'm your host, Mr. DivaBetic. Joining me for the next 20 minutes is my special guest, Clarence Waldron. Clarence is known as the Dean of Arts and Entertainment Journalists. For over 30 years, he worked as a senior editor and senior writer of Jet Magazine. Like Ebony Magazine, founded six years earlier, Jet chronicled Black life in America and provided a lens into the African-American community that mainstream media either ignored or misrepresented. I met Clarence 20 years ago when he interviewed Mrs. Mary Ida Vandross for Jet Magazine after Luther suffered a stroke due to mismanagement of type 2 diabetes. Through his social media posts, I've kept tabs on Clarence over the years. Recently, he mentioned he was recovering from a stroke, so I asked him to appear on this podcast to share his experience with our listeners. You'll quickly see how Clarence's upbeat attitude and ferocious appetite for music, as well as divas, has served him well during his recovery. Hi, Clarence. Thanks for joining us on the show tonight. We really appreciate having you. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Over your years working at Jet, you must have interviewed Luther. Do you have any memories of interviewing Luther or stories about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. The very first Jet magazine cover on Luther Vandross was done by me. You used to love the, um, the soap operas. So it was lunchtime, and he had to go find a TV in our building to look at, I think it was all my children. Well, and he worked with so many divas that you also interviewed. You interviewed Dionne Warwick. I know you interviewed Aretha Franklin several times and had a close relationship with her. I mean, Luther loved the divas. Did you? Lo- it seems like you loved the divas as well, Claire. <laughs> ooh, y'all. Ooh, ooh, y'all. I mean, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I've, I've said to my friends, and they sort of agreed, if I could sing, I would be like Luther Vandross. I would record the song that Dion did with my own spin to it. I may do something for Aretha. I may, I may want to write for her. All of that was just a dream come true for him, that he grew up loving them and then befriending them. That's just unbelievable. So if I were in show business, now I write about show business, but if I were in show business, Maybe I'll be a Luther Vandross. <laughs> and you know, since Luther's passing, we've lost so many other iconic artists from Barry White, Whitney Houston, Prince, Michael Jackson, Gerald Levert, and Aretha Franklin. And it just seems mm-hmm. like a whole generation of music is gone. I'm just curious, since you have such a background in music yourself, working for Jed as well as CBS Records early on in your career. What do you think the toll of that loss has been on the music industry? It has been major. It, it has been major. I mean, you look at it in just reality, we only have, you know, Patti LaBelle, Dionne Warwick, Diana Ross left. So we only have a few legends, a few icons left, and we should go see them whenever we can and just embrace them. So many of them were dealing with significant health issues, like Barry White with hypertension, obviously Luther with mismanaged type 2 diabetes and then a stroke, and Aretha Franklin had pancreatic cancer. Um, You know, she specifically was very mysterious about the disease, and, you know, you interviewed her in the final um, years of her life where she still wasn't really talking about it directly. Now, when Luther had the stroke, 
I faced a lot of backlash because I felt it was really important for people to understand the link between mismanaged diabetes and stroke or stroke and mismanaged diabetes because I had no previous knowledge of that and I just wanted to warn the world. How do you look at celebrity health and if they should or should not be outspoken? Someone's health is their business. Because Aretha was famous did not mean that she was obligated to share the details of her illness. So I sort of just let each person do their own thing. But for example, I discussed my, my situation with stroke, but I chose to do that. And the one thing that um, Aretha did tell me, said, Clarence, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will say to you that I'm telling you more than any other journalist in the world. And I said, okay. And then she gave me whatever, whatever it was. And I was angry at that point. So I wanted to have the exclusive that she has whatever, you know what I mean? But she said, no, I'm giving you more than I've given anyone else. Trust me. And she was right. And also, she also was right about the fact that whatever Aretha Franklin said or did not say or the pause in her, in her, in our interviews, I did get what I wanted as an aggressive journalist. I did get the prize because that was the biggest seller that we had. I understood why she didn't. I understood that. Outside of her immediate camp, you know, no one, no one talked about it. Even, even her, her, her uh, kids, you know, they never talked about all that. I just feel like there's so much good that comes from it, not just for the public, but also, you know, knowing what I know now from working with Diva Better for 20 years, how important it's just to have a circle of friends to support you and be able to let it out and talk about it too, just from a personal experience. Christmas morning, about five or six years ago, your life changed. Tell us what happened on that day. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. What a Christmas morning it was. It was six o'clock in the morning and I woke up and I could not feel my legs. I said, hmm, that's strange. So then I said, let me just sort of, you know, get, get out of bed. I'm an early riser, it was, like I said, six o'clock. And um, I was walking and I fell down. I said, whoa, what is really going on? I called a, um, a very good friend of mine, my best friend, Nita Jenkins, and I said to her, Nita, I can't walk. She said, what? I said, Nita, I can't. I'm on the floor. I, I said, oh, hold on. I'm going to stand up again to see what happens. Because outside of this walk, not walking, there's nothing else. And I stood up, fell right back down. Said, oh, my God. He said, well, call 911. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. But before I did that, I said, well, you know, you know the test about your tongue and, you know, lifting up your, your other arm. I didn't realize that this is, um, this um, left arm was not lifting. I, I didn't quite catch that. But bottom line, I had no signs of a real stroke. But then again, I did because I was not able to walk at all. So it was, it was and you weren't having and, any you weren't having any slurred speech either i mean you're talking about fast now, you, about yeah okay you know yeah they told me there was slurred speech going on but it wasn't right away it was not that that morning at all because remember i was able to call my cousin on my cell phone back in jersey 
to tell her what is happening. I was very coherent. I was very coherent. So there was no slurred speech at that point. Once I got to the hospital down the line, there was something going on. You know, a lot of people, Clarence, after they have something like you experience with the loss of your legs working, uh, might lie down again and just think like, if I just rest, maybe I'll feel better. So it's so great that your cousin, it seems, urged you to call 911 immediately, and you did. Right. That, that, that whole thing about, you know, being fast, being fast, getting to the hospital, fast, getting medical help. That is part of why I'm still here now, because we did move quickly. We did move quickly. Um, because had I laid back down, which is what I wanted to do, by the way, I would lay back down and I'll feel better later on. Ah, but I don't know how it would look. You know what I mean? So, um, like I said in that article, you know, I'm very much aware that things could have been much worse than what they were. I'm very much aware of that. Well, you know, when, and again, like uh, most people choose to lay down, which is really unfortunate because like we're saying, it's just so necessary to take action quickly. Does your background as a journalist kind of, uh, do you think impacted that decision making? Because you're always seeking questions. A lot of people are afraid of their bodies when something goes wrong. They get scared and afraid and they, they shut down. I'm just wondering if you credit that all, any to your background in journalism. Well, of course, I've done several stories about signs of a, signs of a stroke. You know what I mean? I mean, I did those kind of stories. You know what I mean? I did stories, of course, about Luther Vandross and, and what had happened to him and all of that and awareness and awareness and awareness. But somehow or another, it missed me because I did not think that I would wake up and not be able to walk and that would be the sign of the stroke. I actually thought that I had MS because I couldn't walk. That's what I thought it was. And they said, no, it's a, it's a mild stroke. Yeah. I said, really? And, and, and they called it a mild stroke. This is mild. <laughs> you know, this is mild. Come on, y'all. You know what I mean? It's a stroke. It's pretty serious. What caused your stroke? Because I know you mentioned in another article I read that you have a family history of, I believe, diabetes. You mentioned in that article. Are you living with diabetes, or is oh, it your oh, family absolutely. is just predisposed to it? You do have that. No, no, no. Yes, I have. I have diabetes. So this is something that I have known for the last twenty years to look out for. Um, but the twenty years that I had it, there were never any symptoms. There was nothing wrong with it. I took my medication. You know what I mean? Took to my pill and all that stuff. But um, as we know, in, in the real world, things can still sneak up on you. And to me, this really snuck up on me. So you have type right. 2 diabetes. You take oral medications Absolutely. to manage your type. Okay. Yes. So at the yes. time, you've been yes. living with type 2 diabetes for about 20 years. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. I mean, there was never any rush to the hospitals and all that kind of stuff. First time in the hospital was when I had the uh, the stroke. Yeah. So what did your doctor say caused the stroke? Um, I'm, did you ever find out? Like, did they think it you was know, related to the diabetes or they just went? Oh, oh yeah. The doctor, the, the doctor there at the hospital said it's clearly a, a diabetic stroke. For sure. They did tell me that. Yes. 
And then once you suffered the stroke, tell us about what the recovery was like. Because I, you know, I've been through this with Luther, except that he was not coherent like you, you were in the moment. And then afterwards, I think because he did not take action like you do, which I think is really important. At uh, Shirley Ryan for a month. Then I went to another rehab up in Evanston um, for a month. Then I went back to Shirley Ryan for like two months of more therapy. And that in itself is overwhelming to be managing all those issues, to work with the social worker as well as the case manager, as well as your OT uh, and your uh, PT, navigating that whole experience. Did anything stand out to you? you would like to pass on to people as far as how you manage that part of your life? You know, it's funny. In reality, the best advocate for someone who's in the hospital situation and all that, the best ones are, were my friends. They were my daily advocates. They were going to the doctor. They would say, well, what is going on? I had questions as well, but they were my advocates. So if you have a good friend, a family member, you know, let them speak for you. Because and many times, you know, you may be in a situation where you really cannot speak for yourself. So you need someone else to speak for you. But one thing that I always question the, the doctors, I said, I know we're, we're focusing on walking, but how about the fact that my arm and my, my, um, my wrist and all that, what are we going to do about that? They said, well, we, we, we'll, we'll get there. But Clarence, we can guarantee you one thing. You will be able to walk. That was true. And then the other part of it, they said, is the occupational therapy kind of thing. You know, that'll come down the line. And in reality, it really has not shown much of a progress. I mean, I can't just sit here and um, flip my wrist back and forth now at all. Tell us about just some of your functionality. Okay, right now I'm sitting in my dining room. Uh... I have, I have a cane that I can use in the house if I choose to, but I haven't used a cane for the whole week because it's, it's, it's in my bedroom. I just get up and I can walk. Only, the, the key with that is I know my house now, of course. I know where things are. In a few minutes after this interview, I'm going to um, practice my new wheelchair. So we'll go down the hall and into the elevator. You're still working. So how do you yeah, manage yeah, yeah, that? Yeah. You know, actually, the typing I do with my, my right hand. I am right-handed. Thank God for that. So I'm able to do one hand, one hand typing thing. So if I, if I had to do a story right, right away, I'll do it with a one-hand situation. And then my interviews, I'm able to do them as well. It, it works out. It works out. And how have you managed the mental and spiritual side of this? Because so many people, when their bodies let them down, feel down. Very, very, very uh, good question. When I had the stroke and during that, those the first days, I did not cry at all. I did not cry at all because I understood that this could have been much worse than what it was. So thank God I'm still here. Was I frustrated? Was I you know, I'm scared and all of that. Sure, sure. But I never gave in to uh, depression. I remember the doctor used to ask me, you know, if you, if you get depressed, just let us know. People sometimes cry all day over in the corner. No, that just wasn't me. 
And I have friends who, who look at that very carefully and check with me. And they call me every single day, by the way. I have friends who call me every single day to make sure that I'm doing, doing okay. And I think that everyone, everyone's stroke is different. Everyone has a reaction to it that, that's just going to be theirs and theirs alone. So maybe, maybe it's because of my support system. My su support system was and is very strong. How is it navigating the outside world? The world doesn't slow down for us if we have special needs. It seems to only speed up. The people, for the most part, people have been very um, courteous. You know, I mean, I, maybe maybe they know someone who's been in a wheelchair or who's had a stroke or whatever, but they've been very kind. In my building, is there no problem at all. They'll wait for me, take your time, you know, stuff like that. And I really enjoy hearing that, by the way. That's something else to pass on. Just telling someone who has a stroke, take your time. I understand. All right, you'll, you'll, no, you'll get here in a minute. Okay. I love hearing that because that is so true. It will take me a little bit longer to get to that elevator, <laughs> you know. What else would you like to tell anyone else who's had a stroke or has loved ones who've had a stroke from your experience you'd like to share? Well, one, one more thing, I've said it already, but don't compare yourself to other people with a stroke. You will find, and it is true, that there, there are no two strokes alike. So since I've had a stroke, there are other friends that have had a stroke, and they say, oh my, Clarence, oh my God, Clarence, it's like this, it's like yours. And I said, no, no, let's wait and see. And sure enough, theirs were not exactly like, like mine. So that's, that's just one thing. So, and don't compare yourself. Don't worry about that. If you know someone's doing very well, celebrate them. Celebrate them because you know you may get a chance to celebrate yourself as well. Don't compare yourself and um, just learn to take your time with it. But it does take time. And there's one survivor who told me, and I quoted him in that story that you read, uh, Max. He said, "Clowns, I am still in recovery. I am still, and I will always be in recovery." I said, really? I said, oh my God. So this is a situation. This is a lifelong situation. So it's all good. Yes, it's all good. And I know music has played a big role in your entire life and also a big part in your current journey. And what songs and artists are you still listening to today that really help inspire and motivate you? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, when I was in the hospital, of course, it was Aretha's greatest hit. So I just love loved that. Rock Steady, Say a Little Prayer, Respect, anything by Aretha, I just really enjoy. I've read you saying this about Aretha, and I cannot believe that you've never mentioned um, Jump To It or Get It Right, the songs that Luther produced. I'm like, wait a minute. I, <laughs> I was hoping today would be the day that you would have said to me, you know, Max, I was listening to Jump To It. In rehab, you have you definitely listened <laughs> to those two albums. I mean, don't you like any of the songs that Luther produced for the Reaper? Oh, of course. As a matter, matter of fact, <laughs> the last time that I saw Aretha perform in Chicago, she did jump to it, and that was a big, big, a big moment. And we were dancing, carrying on. She spotted me in the, in the audience. Oh, there's Clarence Waldron. You know, I mean, stuff like that. So no, jump to it. Of course, is a classic. Always always have that on my playlist. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I just want everyone to know that because, you know, we are divabetic and, and Luda Vandross inspired us and it would be foolish not to mention. She wrote a book. Remember, uh, Luther was not happy with what she wrote about him in the book. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And they had an interesting relationship. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, but, I think but, it was something to do with the fact that she felt like he was, he was telling her how to sing at some point and she just did not appreciate that. She did not. She said, now are you going to tell me how to sing? But it wasn't you who was listening to me on the radio years ago. And I inspired you. And now you are going to teach me how to sing. Oh, it was it was bad. I remember that one. As a matter of fact, she, I had to ask her that question for the magazine and to explain that some, a, a little bit more. But, of course, they got over that, that, that little moment. You know what I mean? They got over that, thankfully. Absolutely. But I, I think a lot of times people take for granted what artists of that level still have to do regarding respect, which I think is a great lesson to all of us because I think we take for granted when we ascend to a certain level that suddenly everything's going to be easy breezy and you never have to say no again. People know your limits or your boundaries or that people will treat you with the respect you deserve. When I was watching Arisa, I would sort of see, you know, why she was the way that she was. You know what I mean? She, um, she was very proud of herself, proud of her long career. And she is very careful when anyone might sort of, quote unquote, disrespect her or make her uncomfortable. And I, I just know right. from my own personal experience with working with multiple artists, that many times they had to stand up for themselves again. And I, I always think that's an important lesson for me to remember that I have to, you know, you have to set boundaries. You have to tell people how you need to be treated. Because she had her, her, her contract writer that was very specific about things that she needed. And she had to have those things. And um, even down to the uh, concert, she, she demanded that Turn off the AC. Turn it off. And well, it's 100 degrees. I don't care. Turn it off. I cannot sing with that air conditioning going on. So either you do it or, or I'll go back home. The promoter did it. You know, so that's, a, that's an example of fighting for something as simple as that. You know, so all, all the fans knew that um, there'll be no AC here tonight now. <laughs> you know, you go to a Visa Franklin concert, no AC. So, um, same with, it was the same way with Luther Vandross. It was the same way with Luther. Oh, really? Luther. I didn't know that. Would, oh, yeah. People would pass out in the back, in the balcony. Yeah, no air conditioning, oh. never. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to end by you telling us a couple more artists that just motivate you, because we are diva medics, so you could feel free to name divas and your favorite songs by divas so that we could all add them to our playlist. You know, this morning I started my day with Phyllis Hyman. And it was, uh, don't tell me, tell her. I just love that. Evelyn Champagne King, the late, great Luther Vandross. I played, you know, Never Too Much. I like Jeffy Osborne. I really like him a lot. And, of course, I love Nancy Wilson as well. So, and Sarah Vaughan. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I just love all kinds of music. I have a song called Standards Out by my friend Crystal Penny. And it mentions Dion, Sarah Vaughan, Phyllis Hyman, and Shaka Khan. It's about the idea that um, a woman wants someone to love her, love her by the same standards that she hears on the radio and the ways, the ways these women express their love through the radio is the way she wants to be loved. 
All right. I'd like to thank my special guest, Clarence Waldron, for joining us on tonight's podcast. Special thanks to Sony Music. And thank you for listening. Let's stay happy and healthy together. <laughs>